All right, the next warning we're studying is in Hebrews chapter 5, so I'd like you to join me there. Hebrews chapter 5, the warning is do not fall away. We're going to get into some very commonly misunderstood scripture. As a matter of fact, I've got my iPad here, I could probably pull it up, but it's not a part of the agenda, so I won't. But I just got an email yesterday that had a ton of verses. A lady sent me a ton of verses, she said, I know you're busy and you've got a lot going on, but I really need help. I've got a friend that I'm trying to win to the Lord, and I really need help. And these verses kind of stump me. What do I do about this? Hebrews chapter 6 is one of them, and we're going to get to that eventually. But we've got some really strong warnings here to early believers. And this is how I want you to understand this. These are not people that have been raised in church, okay? The Christian explosion, so to speak, has just happened. So a lot of things are changing for people, and we've talked about this at length. Jews are now, they're not under the law anymore. They, they have the liberty um, in Christ, and so this is a new thing. There's The structures that they grew up with are not there, but that we're probably talking about maybe second-generation believers at this point that are being tempted to fall back into Ju- uh, Judaism. And of course, that's the interpretation, but the application, we can make that for you and me today. And we are expected with all the knowledge that we have and all the ability to control our time, there is a very strong warning here against being stagnant in your growth. Being this is a Sunday night, this is why I do this series. These series are not supposed to be really super in-depth. They're supposed to be like chapel messages, but it's a very important reminder that we look at today. And even that we're here on a Sunday night, usually those who come on Sunday nights, you've got a little bit more time, you're, you're ministry-minded, not to say that people who don't come are not, but there is a temptation to be self-centered in our Christian lives and, and, and call our will God's will. And the real test of whether you're in God's will or not is, are you abiding faithful to his word? And a lot of people can't answer that. And it's because they don't know what the Bible says. Well, it's like, well, how do I know I'm abiding in God's word if I don't know it? And I look and say, that's a good question. (laughs) You should know God's word. There's a very important appeal and a warning here in the last part of Hebrews chapter 5. The part that we're not covering, which is Hebrews 5, 1 through 9, talks about our great high, high priest. And it starts the largest part in Hebrews about Jesus being better than the high priest. But I believe Paul's the writer, so I'm just going to say Paul. Paul is talking here, and he's going through, and he's talking about Melchizedek, and he's talking about this and that, but he stops, takes a break for a moment from Hebrews chapter 5.11 all the way into verse 12 of chapter 6, and he kind of gives them a warning, and it starts with verse 11. It says that we're in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. It says, of whom we have many things to say. And hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. I want you to jump over to chapter 6 and look at verse 12. This kind of encapsulates his thought. He says, That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The reason why Paul says what he says in verse 11 of chapter 5 is not because those things are hard in nature to understand. They're hard in nature to understand because... They're not growing. I was just in a conversation with Dr. Gilbert. Well, actually, I wasn't talking to Dr. Gilbert. Uh, He was on Facebook, and there was this, I don't know, some people just wake up on Sundays and they want to pick a fight. That's not Dr. Gilbert, but somebody was really railing against Bible colleges and how bad they are and how it's a failure of the local church and local churches should be Bible colleges and all these different things. And so Dr. Gilbert, he, he, he did the math of how often a person would have to come to church to learn what is offered in four years of Bible college. And he comes to the conclusion that it would take about 10 years, 10 years of coming to every church service, and the assumption would be that the pastor of the church would teach every doctrine in order as a person would learn it in Bible college. Now, you can either get a good, solid education in four years, or you can possibly get something in 10 years. 
I'm all for Bible colleges that stick to the word. I think that's a, I think that's a great way to spend your time. I know here at Florida Bible College, money is not an issue. If you want to come and study, we will do what we can to help you. We're not trying to lock these things behind a paywall. All of our professors are soul winners, which is to say they're not Calvinist, because many Calvinist professors are not soul winners because they don't know who's chosen or not. But the importance of going to Bible college is that it helps you grow at an accelerated rate. Not to say you can't by studying the Word on your own. But here's the reality, folks. People don't do that. I'm not saying that it's impossible. Every single one of us can get a very solid education in our own homes by studying and applying the Word. But the truth of the matter is, we don't do that. This is why we have pastors. This is why we have elders, to minister to the people, deacons, and their responsibilities Specifically, minister to the, to the physical needs of the church while the elders are the ones who are supposed to attend to prayer and the word of God. I love that in Acts chapter 6, by the way. Very clear that elders, and especially the pastor, should be people of prayer. There shouldn't just be one elder who is a prayer guy. That's, that's a responsibility for all of those leaders. But the truth is, people don't discipline themselves to study God's word. And so what ends up happening is, you have a church that starts growing and it's a direct result because of application from received knowledge in the Word. And Paul, he's talking here. He's getting into some very detailed things. And he stops because he realizes, I have a lot to say to you, but you're not going to understand it. Look at the end of verse 11. Seeing ye are dull of hearing. Now, I'm a husband, so I understand what it means to be dull of hearing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it. So I, I understand, and that might not be that I literally can't hear, but maybe just not listening as well. But that's not a good characteristic to have of a child of God. You can be a child of God, saved, going to heaven, but you, you have a hard time hearing God's word because you're far from him. And Paul wants to go into these things, and he does. By the way, when you get back into verse 13 of chapter 6, he picks up and he lets the whole thing go. We have some great truths in Hebrews 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And actually, it's that portion of Scripture before we get to the next warning in Hebrews 10. So he goes really deep into the way things were run and the order of Melchizedek and how Christ is better, drawing excellent comparisons. But he pauses for a moment, and he tells the reality of these believers. He says, you can do so much more than what you're doing right now, but you're dull of hearing. Why? Look what it says in verse 12. For, this means because... When for the time you ought to be teachers. These people were at the point where they had enough time as a believer that they should have known things well enough to teach it to others. I just want to say one of the things I learned as a ranch director was knowing something and knowing something well enough to teach it are two different things. <clears throat> Good, Louis. I think that might be like <laughs> Anyway, knowing something and knowing something well enough to teach it are two different things. What do I mean by that? You can know something up here. You can know chapter and verse, right? You can know maybe large portions of Scripture and how they apply and all these different things. But being able to teach it some, to somebody who doesn't know, that's a, you've got to know it on a simple level where you can start, where you can break it down piece by piece and kind of, it's like you're cutting food for people. Okay, you've got to know this first. You've got to know this first. I can go up to someone and say, the, rap the rapture's happening soon, brother. And if they're young in the faith, they're not going to know what that is. Would a simple definition of rapture help them? Oh, it means to be caught away. To what? What do you mean caught away? Now you've got to get into 1 Thessalonians 4. You've got to know not just that one verse that says when the trump sounds and we get caught away. You've got to go up into verse 13 and talk about all these different things. Then you've got to know, why is Paul talking about this in the first place? And this is how you can have series go on for a long time because you've got to teach things verse by verse. That's how we're building it, line upon line, precept upon precept. It's one thing after another. Knowing things is good, but knowing them to be able to teach people is something totally different. I learned when you're talking to teenagers, and this is the reality, and this is why I always encourage you to, to pray for those that are working with our youth, especially um, Trent. Because 
he has, his, his battle is so uphill. Because a lot of these kids, they are not, they're coming from parents who never went to Sunday school. They're coming from parents who never left a church because they were never in it to begin with. And the music culture and the social media influences, it grabs the mind of these kids. And it, it harnesses them. They don't even know what's good and bad. They just know hedonism, basically. And that's a big word. All that means is, you know, just do what makes you happy. I mean, teaching, teaching youth why profanity is wrong, in, when I was a kid, I understood that because I was raised to have a clean mouth. But the kids today, it's in their homes already. We see it in, in, in PG movies. I, I don't know if you noticed this, but you know, like kids' movies every once in a while, the guy will go to say something, and you know in your brain what he's going to say. And they make sure at that moment to edit it out right away, you know, like it cuts away to something else. And it's like they didn't say it, but they might as well have said it. They've laid the ground for it. That's training people, conditioning people just to have bad behavior. Okay, so you got a bunch of kids like that. How do you start teaching them about the idea of grace you want to teach grace you have to teach them that they're condemned first they got to understand why do i why did god give me grace anyway why do i need a savior what am i being delivered from and so you realize you have to form things in a way that you're not just talking over them but you're talking on their level and that's a hard thing but the reason why that is for those teenagers because they don't have knowledge. Now for them, many of them, they're not saved yet. They get saved and then they're supposed to grow. So let's say a teenager gets saved when he's 15 years old and by the time he's 35, okay, he's had all that time in church, he doesn't know much more than when he started. Now that's the kind of guy that Paul's talking to. You should be teachers. You have need, look at the rest of verse 12. You have need that one teach you again. And he says specifically what they need to be taught again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. So the basics, which you're going to see a list of the basics in a moment here when we get to chapter 6. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Now he's using an illustration, and this is what good teachers do. They give you illustrations. What's the illustration here? Well, babies. Babies, they need milk. We're just now starting to feed Remy, you know, puree stuff. And she loves it. She just loves it. We just started giving her puffs recently. And it's so funny to see her try to, what, what is this thing in my mouth? It's not dissolving like anything else, you know? And now she's starting to like, like, and she'll go like this and stuff. And it's just, it's crazy to see new things for her. Like, but eventually, if we do things right and she grows correctly, she'll understand what it is to chew something and all that. She'll get to the point where she doesn't need the formula every day. She relies on that formula every day. And trust me, folks, it's more and more. She's, we we changed the, the, the size, and I'm telling you, she's like guzzling it down. <laughs> but she, there's, there's coming a point, there's an expectation where she moves away from that kind of food and moves to solid food. It would be a detriment to her health. It would be a concern as parents if we saw that she wasn't moving past that. There, there'd be, we'd think something's not right. Something's not progressing correctly. And that's the illustration here that Paul says. Read it again. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. There's a debate here as to what strong means. I don't think it means that it's tough in nature, like it's hard but I think that it's strong in that it's mature. They're topics that are not difficult, but they require a lot of working pieces to understand it. They, don't, they can't do that because they're still on the milk. They're still in baby Christian mode. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. Now this doesn't mean the young believer is unprofitable. There's a difference here. It just means he's lacking skill that comes over the process of time. So if, you're, if you've been saved for a long time and you don't, you're not growing in your knowledge, say what it is. You don't you have skill. 
you lack what you should have developed. That should be a warning sign to your pastor and to yourself. I'm not doing something correctly. Now, what a lot of people do is they'll backload the gospel here, and this is how this creeps in. The warning bells will include, maybe you're not genuinely saved. You've got to push that thought out of your mind, because the scripture doesn't support that. A lack of growth doesn't mean you're not really a child of God. A lack of growth means you're not disciplined and doing the things that are necessary to grow. It's that simple. We did this video on... uh, Bible line, and this time it was John MacArthur that we went after. And it seems on the weekend, that's when we get all the, you know, pro-John MacArthur people, and they'll say, this guy, he has no idea, he has no idea. And they'll quote things like, uh, make, uh, oh, I just had it, it disappeared. Work out your faith with fear and trembling, right? They'll use that, and they'll say, see, see? But in proper context, that's not what Paul's talking about. But they heard it in a message once. And they're already filled with pride about their good works. And so they attach these things together. That's bad Bible study. What does it mean here that a person that useth milk is unskillful? It means exactly what it means. You don't have any skill yet. You're still learning and growing. Look at the rest of the verse. For he is a babe. If you want to modernize that up, just drop the E, replace it with the Y. He's a baby. I love having a baby, but you know what? I'm hoping as she continues to grow, she won't be a baby all her life. Now, I've met some adults who are really big babies, and that's not a, that's not a fun person to be around. You know, I want you to think about the person that's like that. They're immature. When I went to Bible college and I was learning um, how to build a pastoral message, I heard this illustration. I think I may have said this recently. But as a pastor, you have to imagine yourself as a chef. You're preparing four different types of meals for your sermon, okay? The first meal is for those who are lost. Isn't it great that we're having visitors every Sunday? Did you notice this morning the first thing I gave was the gospel? I did that for a reason. That's the first meal. That's what I want to put out so that people hear, you need to put your faith in Christ. I gave that meal at the end as well. Okay, so that's the first responsibility of a pastor. Second responsibility is for those who have recently gotten saved. You want to make sure that you're speaking in a way that's plain so that they're not left out, so you prepare a meal for them. Then you have to have something in your message that requires the exercising of those mature Christians, the ones who have skill and are growing. You want to make sure you have something for them too. But then there's that fourth meal. And this one, it's really not a meal at all. It's just kind of a, I'll get to you later. And that's the immature Christian living in sin that should be eating the mature food, but he's playing with the baby food. You have to be able to give a message to that person, which is to convict them of how they should be growing. That's the responsibility of a Sunday morning. Now, I don't do that on Sunday nights. And I don't do that on Wednesday nights. Those are the messages, these are the messages where I try to teach the more difficult things so that you have a good understanding. But it's important to recognize there are babies that come to church and they look like humans. <laughs> and, you know, I'm glad you see some humor in that, but I want you to be honest. That might be you if you're not growing. And I don't want that for you. That, that's not how we should end up. Now, I'd rather people go to heaven in diapers than you know, go to hell as an adult. I, I, but for growth, there's so much joy and benefit. You can understand the deeper things of God by applying what you learn in the Scripture. Look at what it says in verse 14. But strong meat, I love this verse. It's a great verse. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Oh, well, you see, i got to be old in life before I serve Jesus Christ. I got to be old and, and, and you know, I got to make sure I've had all my fun and then when I'm in my whatever, I'll start serving God. No. You realize that most of the apostles were just, they had just gone through this Bible college with Jesus Christ for, for three years and the most work that they did was probably in their late 20s. We know that because when they went into the temple, Peter was the only one who really paid taxes. 
the rest of them didn't need to. It probably meant they were under the age of what was required. That kind of blows your mind, right? These apostles were used by God to do great things. They used what they had, the time that they had, to apply it to understanding what Christ had taught them. And don't forget, when Jesus came back from the dead, he was with those men for quite a while. And they learned quite a bit. The two who were on the road to Emmaus, Jesus told them everything from start to finish of how these things spoke of him. Wow. Later on in that passage, it says, our heart did burn in us when he spoke, because they they knew that there's power in that teaching. That's available to you. It's not hidden behind a Bible college paywall. It's not hidden behind a Bible app devotional. It's right here in your Bibles. And the way you get it is you learn it, and then you go do what it says. But if you don't grow, that's a choice that you make. And I'll be honest with you, shame on us when we don't grow. Shame on us. It should not be that way. I want to be the kind of person that meets the description in verse 14. I want that for you too. Now, if you've been living that baby life for a majority of your Christian life, you don't have to have a big sob story and all that kind of stuff and and feel like you're unworthy. You confess it to God and you start doing the things that are necessary. That's the beautiful thing about 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful and just forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no trial period there. You can get right and get back to doing what you're supposed to be doing. Sometimes people limit themselves, you know, and I think we've all done this. We, we're, you know, we, we have to learn how to forgive ourselves of these things that we've, we've missed out on. 14, though, to finish this up. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to look at this, but I want you to recall Solomon. Remember Solomon. When God asked him, what do you want? What did he say? I want to be able to discern. I want to be able to judge thy people correctly. I, that impacted me as a young man. It's so simple. The request is so simple. But if you actually get that, it's profound. You remember what God did? He said, I'm going to give you that and more. Solomon was the wisest man of his time. People from all over came to hear his wisdom. We know from Proverbs chapter 4, wisdom is the principal thing. Get wisdom, get understanding. This is important. And look at what this says. Senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This is the ability to understand what is right and what is wrong. And by applying it, you do what's right. That that is a noble goal in the Christian life. I want to know the difference between what I should and should not do, what I should and should not say. And as you grow and you have your senses exercised, how does that work? Trials. I've got, if you're looking for the cushy Christian life, I've got bad news. I, I mean... It's not even bad news if you have it from the correct perspective. Wouldn't you gladly suffer for Christ? Paul said, I want to understand that. That I can take part in that suffering. Now, it doesn't mean we go out there and look for the suffering. I think that's called piety, you know. I think that's a lot, what, what, what a lot of these Calvinist teachers are doing today. They're kind of putting on display this. I told you about uh, John Piper. He was at a Southern Baptist convention or something. I don't know where... But he made the statement, uh, the way I treat my wife sometimes makes me question if I'm really saved. And everybody in the audience goes, what a man of God. I mean, is that a wise statement? Should the way we treat our spouse inform whether we're saved or not? Hello. But people look at that and they go, oh, what a humble man. That's called a humble brag. And anybody can see it for what it is. And you've got to be careful that those guys are not the ones you're like, i got to eat at his table. No, no, eat at this table, this one right here. And that's why we're in the position we're in today. That's why Calvinism is rampant, because we've got this self-righteous people as teachers, and men are just attracted to their intellect. There's no doubt these are wise men, but they're not wise according to what God says. And you've got to be careful. 
that you don't eat from their table. But through trials, getting back to my point here, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The only way you're going to be able to understand these things is by going through them. Remember that description we looked at in Daniel chapter 7 about God on his throne and he has long, pure, white hair? What, what, is, what is the significance of that? Well, many people think because of the way that's written, that's, that is a physical example of his wisdom. He has maturity. Sadly, the, our, the elderly in our community today, they're the ones that we try to push off the, the quickest. I, when, I, when I think of people in my life that had great wisdom, they're all older men. Dr. Lindstrom, I had the privilege of sitting under him from 2000 and the summer of 2003 until he passed away in 2008. I still listen to some of his stuff. Still. Dr. Arnold, he just went to Israel. He did, and he got back, led a bunch of people to Christ. He's sitting there, they got pictures of him on the tour bus like this, you know, with a microphone, just telling people the Bible. Going to the garden tomb, all these different things. That's a wise man. I want to hear what someone like that has to say. Dr. Scudder Sr., I always encourage you, we watched it through a bunch of Sunday nights. We watched that Finish Strong series, you remember? That's a wise man. I want to see what did that man do, and I want to replicate it. You know what I find with all three of those guys? They're men of the word. They love this more than anything else. Doesn't mean they don't participate in in hobbies and do fun things. It doesn't mean they're absolutely shut up to the world and they don't go. As a matter of fact, all three of those guys are, are soul winners. Two of them have passed on now. Dr. Arnold, I've seen him witness to people. I used to think there's no way you could lead somebody to Christ quickly. Then I saw Dr. Arnold. I remember I took him for his neck appointment. Y'all remember that? When he had his surgery on his neck and they had to go through here. Here he is in a cone like this, right? Just totally immobilized. And he's sitting down in this office. I had driven him to an appointment in Orlando. And he's sitting down there and he's in a lot of pain. He's on pain medicine. And just in about two or three minutes, he leads this nurse practitioner to Christ. And I'm not talking about, you know, where she said yes, but she didn't really understand it. She responded. She was emotional. She understood it to the point where she understood how good this free gift was. And she put her trust in Christ. And I'm driving back and I'm going, this is somebody who, they're an authentic person because they've dedicated themselves to the understanding and practice of God's Word. That's verse 14. I want that for you. I pray that for you. As a matter of fact, I want to kind of peel the curtain back a little bit. When I sit here for communion, one of the things that I pray every time is that God would do a work in your life. And what I mean by that is that He would convict you of things that you... need to get corrected, and encourage you to do right. I pray that for you every time. And yes, I confess my sin. I have gotten in the practice of doing that daily. It helps me when I'm tempted to sin. I'm like, I don't need to do that. I can run to Christ here, and I can pray through this temptation. That didn't happen overnight. But I pray that for you. Every communion. I sit here, and I pray for you. But my prayers are only answered if you respond. That's where we've got the car that's standing above the road, right? And the the wheels are going, they're going, and they hit that rubber, and it's boom, taken off. Rubber meets the road, and we're moving forward. That's progress. Now look at uh, chapter 6. We've got plenty of time. I, I believe we've got plenty of time. Chapter 6 now. He said earlier... In chapter uh, 5, in verse 12, he says, One teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 6, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance of dead works 
of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. That's six specific things. These are all doctrines that those believers should have already understood, but because they were not exercising their faith, many of them had to be reminded again of the significance of those doctrines. Things that we should understand. And we could go through all of those, but that's not the intent of the study. The main thing I want you to focus on there is that those foundations, for many people, they had to be laid again. They had to go through these things again. And here's Paul. He's saying, I want to teach you more important things, but you're not ready. You've got to understand these things again. There's a phrase that I want you to look at. Hold your spot here. And it's in the book of 2 Peter in chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 4. This is on page 1317. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be, unbarren, uh, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, it doesn't say, if these things be in you, then you're really of Jesus Christ. What it says is, if these things be in you, you're going to have fruit. You're going to have works to show that God is working in you through the diligence that you're doing to add to your faith. But look at verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten. He, the believer, has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. It is totally logical for an undisciplined believer to forget that they put their trust in Jesus Christ. And I see that a lot with a lot of people. They have to be constantly reminded if they really trusted Christ. That's not a sign of somebody that just struggles with, it's been labeled religious scrupulosity or religious OCD. That's not just that. It's more likely a lack of applying the truth of God. I said this last week when we were talking about the... uh, I think it was, don't fall into unbelief for one of those. It may have been two weeks ago. But I said that there are people that you have to have a clear conversation with them and say, this is not a difficult thing. It comes down to, do you believe what God says? We believe God for eternal life, and that's great. We have a home in heaven. We're saved eternally. But the growth here, why are you struggling with these things? And it's because you're not, you don't believe what God said. It's like the Israelites. There's giants in the land. Never mind that you just saw the ten plagues and the splitting of the Red Sea. A couple of giants? Well, I'm not going to say a couple. A nation of giants causes you to doubt God? They died in the wilderness for that. God takes unbelief very seriously. And if we don't add to our faith, if we don't grow, compare this with what we saw in Hebrews 5.14. The Bible calls you, you can't see. You can't see afar off because you don't even know where you stand. That's not somebody that leads. That's not somebody who's growing. So go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Now we're in verse 3. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and tasted the word of God and the powers of this world to come. Stop for a moment here. I want you to note that there are, there's a whole list of things here that all equal somebody who's saved. This is important to understand. Look what it says. Those that were in, once enlightened, that's a saved person. Enlightened by what? Faith in Jesus Christ. That He's the Messiah, and that I've put my trust in Him, 
as my Redeemer. He's paid for my sin. Next phrase. And have tasted of the heavenly gift. We're going to get into a, uh, a word study here. That word means to eat. Not nibble. Not move around and spit out. It means to eat with the idea to consume. So when it says here that a person has tasted of the heavenly gift, that heavenly gift is salvation through Jesus Christ. When a person's been saved, it's impossible for whatever this verse says next to be true of them. So we need to pay attention to that. The next phrase, and we're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. This is an even stronger case that not only have they been enlightened by the truth, not only have they partaken of the heavenly gift, but they're also partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know this verse, but I want you to see it. And if you know it already, you might know where we're going. Raise your hand if you think you know what verse we're going to go to. Anybody? Oh, good. This is good. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Ephesians 1, 13, page 1250 in your Bible. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. This verse tells us that when you believed, you also received immediately. And the day that the Holy Spirit will depart from you is laid out in verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, either by the rapture or by your death. So you've got eternal security. Go back to Hebrews 6. And we're made partakers of the the Holy Ghost. And there's that word tasted again. It's the same Greek word. Genomai. The same Greek word. Tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to uh, to come. What's the power of the world to come? Everlasting life. The person who has believed meets all these qualifications. So look at verse 6 now. If they shall fall away. Now, this does not mean that they never will. The reason why this is said is because that's what these Hebrew believers were doing. They were falling away from the truth. And that can happen to you and me. And it, and it has happened to many believers. If they fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. What does this mean? There is no condition in which a believer will become lost and condemned to hell in the eyes of God again. They cannot be renewed unto that first change of mind. That's a great promise. But in this promise is a stern warning to believers. Don't fall away. Don't fall away. This is the first of a very pointed statement that will be made extremely sharp in Hebrews chapter 10. Really some stuff where if that meets you, you you should have some fear and trembling. But there's no need to get that person saved again. They just need to do what we saw in Hebrews 5.14. Exercise your faith. Don't be dormant. Use what you've got. God's word. Look at what it says. Seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. The undisciplined believer is ashamed of God. Do you want to be ashamed of God? I remember, and many of you might be able to understand this feeling, but you ever got called out in class for something that you did wrong? I remember this, specifically, you guys know my third grade teacher, Miss Hamilton. I told you I thought she was maybe a Russian spy. She was just that kind of person. But I remember I was not supposed to talk in class, and I was doing that. 
There was no doubt that I was talking in class and breaking the rule. I could not be the best world's politician and find myself, you know, uh, exonerated from that. I was breaking the rules. And I got in trouble. And I got called out in front of the whole class. And I felt, and you know, you're a third grader. I don't know how old you are in third grade, but I felt this, I just felt so ashamed that I broke this rule and that it was being made known that what I did was wrong. But I'm going to be honest with you, as I got older, that feeling of breaking the rules, it went away. And I still broke rules. And we all know what this is like. This is callousing ourselves to doing what is right and just being, becoming hardened and doing what is wrong. By the time I was in 10th or 11th grade, I was doing things that I would, third grade me would have been ashamed of. What changed? I delved more into my sinful nature. And I'm sure, I'm sure, the way that I carried myself in high school, there are people who look at me now and say, I knew him in high school. And that's a shame. That's a shame. I don't like that. But it is true of many believers. And some people never get it together. And they're just a walking shame on... uh, uh, Shame on them for the way they behave. We shouldn't be that way. What's the difference here? He's breaking away from what he ended in verse 14 of chapter 5. I want you to read it again. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's how you avoid being like these people. Now, verse 7 is a great illustration. It's perfect for us to close on. For the earth, which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them, by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. What does the earth that brings forth fruit fruit receive? This verse says blessing. Not that, oh, they're really, really saved. No, they've got works to show that they're disciplined. They receive blessing. The field that does not bring forth any fruit, you got to purge it. Look at what it says in verse 8. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected. It's not profitable. Remember what he said? Unskillful. And is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. So many people look at rejected, nigh unto cursing and burned, and they say, this is hell. That's not hell. There is a threat. I want you to imagine you, your life is a field. And the rain has come down. The rain represents faith in Christ. You have this blessing. You have the word of God that is giving you all the conditions to grow. If you have thorns and bristles and briars and all these different things, your ground can't be used by God to bring forth good fruit. So you've got to be totally uh, wiped out. Uh, You have to have new ground again. And there are fields. They've been burned and burned and burned. They don't have any use anymore. So God moves on to the ones who do have use. Don't be the field that produces the, the thorns and the briars. The believer that doesn't do anything with their life. Doesn't grow. Be the verse 7. Look what 7 says. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. I want blessing. I don't want to have to be purged out because I'm not profitable. The only pruning that I want is the one that God does that brings about more growth. And that's in John 15. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. And things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak, show us your faith. Show us your faith. We expect better of you. That's what Paul is saying. This is some strong stuff. This is that medicine that doesn't taste good if we're living in sin. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. What is, so now he's moving past the harsh warning and he's trying to encourage. And I think he does that well. God's not going to forget. God's not like the unrighteous boss who doesn't give proper credit or gives bonuses sparingly 
or rewards people who do wrong over people who do right. God will not forget. Isn't that encouraging? That even the things that nobody sees you do, and you do them for the Lord, He will reward you for those things. He will not forget. This is what it's like to live single-mindedly for the Lord. I have seen people, as a part of their growth, they try to do things to impress the church leaders. Why do that? Those guys are imperfect. Even though they're doing right, they're not going to see and do everything. And people get offended very easily. This is, and this is what we're going to look at next week. Don't get bitter. But people get offended very easily. Why? Because they're serving the people instead of God. That's how you get bitter. Serve people, you're going to have problems all day long. Problems all day long. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. I want you to focus on this here. There is a lot of value in ministering to one another. A lot of value. I miss our third Sunday dinners. I miss when we used to have the um, meet and greet. Thanks, COVID. Hopefully, I pray we can get back to those things. I really do. But you know why I miss those things? Because it was a time of sweet fellowship and encouragement. We got to spend time with one another and minister to one another. When you find out what people need, that's why I love the Sunday school classes. I know that there's not a lot of people that come, but that's a place to encourage one another. That's why I like the, 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 the prayer chain that Carolyn is so faithful to do. We encourage one another there, how to pray for one another. When you come to church, you should not be just looking to be a consumer, but be a giver. How can you give to people? And I'm not talking about you come with a sack full of money like, hey, solving all your problems. That's because money comes and goes. Sweet fellowship, prayer, encouragement. Just, uh, I'm praying for you. We have, my wife is connected through these adoption groups to people that have yet to, uh, to be placed. And that's a, it's a hard spot to be. We, we know what that is like to put in for, you want to talk to a birth mom and see if she would consider you and you wait and you wait and you wait and you get a no. And that happens over and over again. And then there's some that you pass up on and you realize it was a really good situation. And it's just hard to learn those things. And my wife had somebody reach out to her, and I just, I know this is God working. I know it is because there's people that are coming into our sphere of influence that would have never come in if we were not able to adopt. But she passed, this, this young lady passed up on a situation, and she was so grieved by it. And Kyla knows what that lady needs to hear is, I'm here. How can I help you? What can I do for you? Instead of, and I know people mean well when they say this, oh, you'll get it someday, it'll be okay, just stick it out. People are suffering right now. What they need is not the obvious. They need somebody who's present. And I think it's significant that that is said there in verse 10. In that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Don't quit. We know that the end is a guarantee. We're going to be with the Lord, but don't trip up and quit on the way there. And then we have verse 12, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Not inherit the promise of eternal life because of their good works. Those who inherit the joy of fellowship now. That's a promise that we can receive. But it only comes to those who are disciplined. I hope you found this profitable. There's, there's quite a bit there. Uh, when you get a chance, study that verses uh, 1, 2, and 3 in Hebrews chapter 6. It's good. It's good stuff. What are those doctrines? Would you be able to understand each one of those? I think it's good to know. Resurrection of the dead there, Old Testament saints... That wasn't necessarily the idea of heaven. It was that they were going to live again. For us, heaven is clearly in view. That's what, I'm, when I think of resurrection of the dead, I'm thinking, if I die before the rapture, I know when the rapture comes, I'm getting a new body and I'm going to heaven. Amen. And I can have that assurance for people in my life who have died. I know that one day, we're all going to be living together in new bodies with Jesus. It would be really sad, don't you think, if I lived or you lived a quality of life where we forget those truths, that'd be sad. And that's not the way that God wants it. All right, you can go ahead and close your Bibles.
Um, before I get to the gospel here, I want to remember because I might forget. Please be here on Wednesday night. Blake is going to finish up his uh, spring feasts that he, that he worked on. And he's got some good stuff planned and prepared. So I want to encourage you to be here this Wednesday night, okay? But let me share with you the most important and greatest news in all the world. This hand to represent you and me. My wallet represents sin. Put it on top of my hand because the Bible says, and you and I all know, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? Well, it's what you need to get into heaven. It's perfection. And we miss out. We misjudge. We're bitter. We steal. We lie. We're deceitful. We're sinners. God, he loves us very much, but he hates sin. And that sin separates us from him. If this were to be paid for, of anything that we could do, nothing would be able to satisfy that debt. Somebody's got to die for this sin. And people who die without a payment of sin applied to their account end up separated from God forever in a place called hell. That's a reality for many people. And it should not sit well with us. It should motivate us to go out and give the gospel. That's all the bad news. There's no good works we could do to pay for our sin. Somebody's got to die and it's looking like it's us. But... But God has sent His Son. And I'm going to let this hand represent Jesus Christ for the sake of this illustration. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that He gave His only begotten Son, which is Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in Him, there's salvation. Whosoever, you and me, believeth in Him, Jesus Christ, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can know that you have eternal life. You can know that you're going to heaven if you simply put your trust, you believe one time, on Jesus Christ, that his death, burial, and resurrection paid for your sin. Oh, and another thing, it is impossible for you to have to be renewed again to that repentance. What I mean by repentance there is a change of mind. That's what that biblical word means. It's impossible that God will put you back in the condemned category so that you have to get saved again. You're saved forever. But don't use this life as though you have a license to sin. You don't. And God will discipline you. As a father disciplines his children. It's very different from how God will discipline his wrath on the lost. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, please. If you're here tonight and that makes sense to you and you'd like to put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can do so right now. Right where you're sitting, you can simply say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I can't earn my way to heaven. And I know what Jesus Christ did for me, paid for my sin. And so I'm putting my trust in him. I know I'm going to heaven. I hope that makes sense to you. Don't just repeat those words. I mean, think about it. There's no other way that it would be other than the grace of God. And if you're online, you can also let us know, leaving a comment there. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, we'd love to pray for you. Father, thank you so much for another opportunity to study your word. We pray for Blake as he gets ready for the message on Wednesday night. Pray for all those in ministry, Lord, and I pray for those here today that we'd be given the strength we need to avoid falling away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.